I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans, the eighth chapter. We'll begin our reading at verse 5 and carry it through to verse 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 17. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of, this, of the flesh of the body, you will live for all those who led by Christ's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray together. So many words, O oh Lord God, in this passage that can virtually cause us to be confused. We may wonder what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey in his description between the flesh and the spirit. Our task this morning is not to make me look good in what I can say. Our task this morning is to try to bring clarity to this passage by your spirit to the hearts of those that are here this morning. May our ears be tentative to the teaching or the whispering of the Spirit through the Word. 
May our hearts be receptive to what you would have for us to say. And may the clarity of this passage be detailed across this pulpit so that there can be a transformation of life. Without that happening, then this time in your word will be a lost effect. We need your help, O oh God. And so does Brian Dyer. He needs your help. The doctors need your help. The nurses need your help. Judy needs your help. And their family needs your help. All of that due to the health situation, the physical part of Brian that is causing pain. I pray, oh God, that you would untwist the intestines that have become twisted. We don't know how that happens, but apparently it does. And so I pray, God, that you would give to Brian, the doctors, the nurses, to Judy and their family, and give them a peace, even in the midst of this storm. It wasn't something that they signed up for. It wasn't something that they looked forward to. But they are facing it now. And through prayers, we thank you that some of the condition is being changed. But it's not all right yet. So I ask, oh God, that you would make it right. If it would be your will that Brian would not have to have surgery, then, Lord, we ask that that tube that is down his nose and into this area would do what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to aid in untwisting the intestines. But if it is your will for Brian to have surgery, then, Lord, guide the hands of the surgeon. And may there be a reconstruction or a renewing that needs to be done in his physical body. But right now, I pray that your spirit would even be speaking to him in that new nature. May he sense your presence. May the room that he is in is filled with your power. That anyone that walks in there realizes that there's something different going on here. That same prayer we ask for Heather Harner. And she needs you. Her husband needs her, you, Lord. Your, their children need you. And yes, even extended family, they need you. The same that Brian and Judy, we ask that you would give to them a healing that surpasses even our expectations. A healing that takes us from the realm of normal to the realm of supernormal. A healing that brings about that which honors you. 
We ask that you would release her of the upsetness of her stomach. That the nourishment that she's able to take will be advantageous for the healing process. The success of the surgery, we praise you. Now we ask for the healing. And I pray, God, too, that there would be a peace that would come upon them that the world can't give. The best wishes of cards, letters, phone calls, emails, texts cannot compare to the peace that comes from you. Because your peace passes all understanding. And it guides and it guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Lord, you do that which gives you the honor and the glory and bless that family. Use them as a conduit of your grace to maybe others who will be facing the same type of physical situation that they've been through. And may they, O oh Lord God, Rise up and call you blessed. May their children learn in this particular situation of how they too can rely upon you for every aspect of their life. And so do these things, oh God, we lift them to you knowing full well that you are in control. Now I pray that you will control this particular assembly. Pray that you would keep away any distraction that would try to keep us from knowing and understanding what your word has to say. So those things we lack, we ask, Lord, that you will provide. The things that we need to know, I pray, Lord, that you will teach us by your spirit. And may your word sound true today. For we will praise you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. When my family and I were engaged at the study at Lancaster Bible College back in the early years of the 1980s, quite often we would take a walk through the local mall because of the heat and humidity that we engaged ourselves in. Our apartment was not air conditioned and there were days that some of you can remember that the fans only blow recycled hot warm air. And so we would head off to the mall, load our children in the vehicle and go for a walk in the runways between all of the shops of that particular mall. We weren't engaging in trying to purchase anything. We were just trying to get some relief from the heat and the humidity that we were experiencing. But even in our times of enjoying moments of coolness in the mall, our walk didn't change the circumstances. It, when it appeared we were cooled off a little and our children were bored half to death of our activity, we headed back to the entrance that we entered the mall 
And when the doors opened to allow us to go outside, we were instantly greeted with that which we tried to escape. It was still hot and humid. It appeared for at least a short while our excursion may have settled the issue of our discomfort, but we still did not overcome the initial problem. As we were once again in the throes of the pages of the book of Romans, we are also once again reminded of something we all face again and again as followers of Jesus Christ. The issue is this, how? How can a Christian live a life that is successful in overcoming the flesh and at the same time pleasing to God? It's our intent this morning to share with you what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? How is that even possible? Is it more just an a wish, a dream, or is it a reality of life? From our reading of the scriptures this morning, we find some familiar terminology we've previously investigated. We are once again awakened to the conflict of the flesh and the spirit. You might remember the Apostle Paul's reeling, if you will, in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 7, where he reminds us by his testimony that those things he knows he should do, he finds himself not doing, and those things he desires to do, he finds himself at the place where he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. It's a continual battle. We are once again awakened to the conflict of the flesh and spirit, the old nature versus the new. Every person who trusts in Jesus Christ for his or her salvation is given by God the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who resides in us is referred to as the new nature. The new nature is referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 where it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. But the old things in, the, in that verse is referring to is not a gravestone upon the corpse of the old nature. The old nature resides in the flesh, in the physical. And it produces, as we have previously seen, it produces death. Being a new creation in Jesus Christ does not mean we automatically become super sinless believers. Has anyone reached that yet here this morning? I didn't think so. But it does mean that the relationship between us and God has been changed, that we are no longer enemies of God, for now we are children of God. In this new relationship we now possessed, 
what is referred to in the scriptures as the new nature. And because we have been given this new nature, we are declared by God that we are no longer residing under his condemnation. The problem that we still face is this. We have a battle that goes on. We all live in the flesh, and so we struggle with the desires of the flesh until we get to heaven, but we can begin, but we can be these desires under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me just for a second. Turn, uh, keep your place here in Romans 8. We'll come back. But go to Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 16. Just about three books over. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Notice that the Apostle Paul does not say we won't have the desires of the flesh when we walk in the Spirit, but we won't carry out those desires when we walk in the flesh. Let me give you a definition of what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is similar to being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit enables a Christian to live in such a way as to glorify the Lord in our everyday activities. Being filled with the Spirit according to Paul in Ephesians 5.18, is all about control. Virtually, who's in charge? Thus, walking in the Spirit has the same purpose. Who is going to be in charge? Back in Romans chapter 8, we find ourselves in the process of spiritual growth known as sanctification. Sanctification is the process empowered by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of conforming the life of a believer to be set free from the power of sin. In other words, victorious over the old nature of the flesh. In the process of sanctification, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to bring about a change in the life of the child of God so that as that change is being conformed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, a child of God understands what it means to walk in the Spirit. In other words, in the sanctifying process, every believer... The Word of God is taught by the Spirit of God in order to bring about victory in the life of the child of God. Sanctification. You will notice in Romans chapter 8 and verses 5 through 7 that the word mind is used five times in connection with both the flesh 
and the spirit, the word mind is used. This means that if we have our minds set on things of the flesh, we will live according to the flesh. And conversely, if we set our minds on things above, on things of the spirit, we will live according to the spirit. If our minds are set on the wrong things, our feet will automatically go in the wrong way. If we have a problem with our walk, the problem's not in our feet, it's in our minds. The setting of our mind is like choosing a television station. You can watch Channel 5 or Channel 8, but you can't watch both simultaneously off of the same television. Nor can you simultaneously listen to AM and FM frequencies on the same device. In these verses, you have two different channels. One channel leads to death and one that leads to life and peace. The question is this, which one are you looking at? And which one are you listening to? The Apostle Paul addresses the same issue in another one of his letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 to 5. You don't need to turn there, but the Apostle Paul addresses an issue in the church of Corinth over the churches waning in their walk with Christ the Apostle Paul is defending the reality of the gospel and his apostleship when he writes, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What this verse is saying is that a Christian can get out of frequency with the Holy Spirit, and when this happens, our minds will retaliate or go toward the flesh. Now we must understand what is a stronghold. A stronghold is developed by, if you will, a place of resistance. A stronghold presents or resents, if you will, the Holy Spirit from gaining victory in the life of a believer. A stronghold can be an attitude of life that is contrary to the truth of the scriptures. A stronghold can be a cherished sin that we like to hold on to. It can be a grudge we hold against another person. Stronghold can be anything allowed in our life that keeps the flesh nourished and the spirit starved. The only way a sinner, a believer, can be victorious is to use the weapons of the Holy Spirit to bring down these strongholds. 
It's called setting our minds upon that which we refer to as walking in the spirit. And this has three specific concepts in the life of a believer. First, walking in the spirit implies that the spirit is going somewhere. There's a destination. The issue here is that you must point your life toward the will and glory of God. The Holy Spirit always goes to the same destination, to the same place, which is bringing God glory. In contrast, the flesh is always moving to that which pleases itself. Every destination needs a map. The vehicles today have what is called a navigation system. This navigation system allows you to enter the address of where you are going and in turn plots the route for you. you and once you press the button to go, a voice comes on and gives you directions on how to reach your destination. Our vehicle has a navigation system. But that's not good enough for my wife. She needs a map. We literally have a map of, I believe, about 45 of the 50 states in the United States. We don't go anywhere without those maps being next to my wife, she does not trust the navigation system. Even though it's a female voice still telling me how to drive, <laughs> she doesn't trust it. Life has destinations. And walking in the spirit, the destination, the final destination is glory. It's heaven. That's where we are headed. But along the way, there can be trouble. There can be construction signs. There can be road closed signs. There can be a numerous other situations whereby it hinders our progress. That is true also of the Christian life. Our everyday life, there are times when our journey seems to be clouded and we need clear information in order to make the journey to our final destination that which gives God the glory. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to not only bring clarity to our journey, but we can also gain strength and vision as to what is really important for our journey. The destination is certain. We just need direction. Which brings me to this thought. Are you looking to the Holy Spirit for clarity in your journey, or are you ignoring the manual? the map, the Word of God. The Word of God, which is the Holy Spirit uses to bring us home. 
We've not yet reached chapter 12, but the first two verses the Apostle Paul writes are very clear, where it gives us instructions for our destination, where it says, therefore, present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and perfect will of God. There's an issue again, our, our minds. The renewing of our minds is a daily exercise in remembering from God's word what living for Christ really means. Living for Christ is the process of being conformed to living as a sacrifice of worship. It's allowing the Spirit of God free reign and changing us through the Word of God so we may become living examples of what it is to be a child of God. Walking in the Spirit, first there's the destination. Secondly, walking in the Spirit implies dependence. Dependence. The key to walking in the Spirit is to look to the Holy Spirit, to give us the ability to do what we know we cannot do on our own. When you walk, you place one foot in front of the other, putting all of your weight on that foot for that step. In the same way, you must rest all of your strength of, the, of your soul in God's power, not your own. The moment we try to do it on our own, we reject the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the true source of our power and victory. Anytime a child of God determines to go on their own, that person is walking in the flesh. And when this mindset begins to take root, a believer then, what follows is best described in Romans 8 and verse 8, where it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are allowing the old nature to call the shots, those who are walking after the rudiments of the flesh, are, as Paul says, unable to please God, unable to give God the glory, unable to worship properly, unable to serve properly, unable to live properly, unable to testify properly, and yes, unable to fellowship Properly. In this condition, the mind is set on fleshly things of the old nature. And as we've seen before in the book of Romans, this leads to death and defeat. It is in this condition that one is no longer thinking about what is yet to await us in glory because they're focused on things of this world, which according to the Apostle John in 1 John 2, verse 16, is not of the Father. Being dependent on God is resting your very mind, soul, heart, and strength on His power to sustain and keep us as we walk in the newness of life. My question to you is this. Who are you depending on? The third 
element and the last element of walking in the spirit is this. It's dedication. Walking is a continuous process and is relative to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Our walk in the Spirit is ongoing, so we must maintain our dedication to Christ in order to complete our purpose. Back in 1972, during the Summer Olympics of that year, there was a commentary done on a wrestler from the United States named Dan Gable. The one issue that continued to be brought to light during this interview was the dedication that Dan Gable had with the only goal in his mind, which was to beat the Russians. For those who may have seen this documentary will also remember that Dan Gable only lost two wrestling matches in his entire high school and college career. To many, Dan Gable was the epitome of dedication. During his matches in the Olympics, no one scored any points against him as Dan Gable won the Olympic gold in his weight class. After the Olympics, Dan Gable became the head coach, the head wrestling coach of Iowa University, where in his 21 years of coaching, Iowa won 15 national championships. He was so dedicated to wrestling that when Dan Gable finally retired from coaching at Iowa University, he needed his wife or his daughters to drive him around the town because Dan Gable only knew one way, and that was to Carver Arena, where he went every day for 21 years. He had no idea that there was anything else in the town of Iowa University. When we look at that, Dan Gable was totally dedicated to his life passion, and it was wrestling. When we walk in the spirit, dedication means to continuously take one step after another, realizing that our strength and power resides and rests in the Holy Spirit. Dedication is the mindset that no matter what comes our way, our life passion will remain to be centered on glorifying Jesus Christ because it is him who willingly gave his life for us that we may live. And according to verse 15 of Romans chapter 8, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Daddy, our Father. How precious is our relationship to God through Jesus Christ that we can call our Heavenly Father Daddy. Destination, dependency, 
dedication. These are the elements of what it means to walk in the Spirit for the born-again follower of Jesus Christ. They are essential for victory over the old nature as well as essential for living for the glory of God. It is, by the way, the least we can do. Can we pray together? Father, you know the hearts of all that are here. You know their lives. You know them inside and out. I pray, O oh God, that by your spirit you will search our hearts. Are we really walking in the spirit? Or are we, as the Apostle Paul says, walking according to the flesh? Are we tuned into you or are we more interested in tuning into the world? It can't be both. Oh God, I pray that the least that we can do is to live for you because of all that you've done for us. This world really has nothing to offer us, God. And so I pray that each and every one of us here this morning would search our hearts. Are we really walking after the Spirit? I pray we are. May that be, O oh Lord, discussed between you and them by your Spirit. And may you, O oh Lord, have the victory in all of our lives, because you alone are worthy. I'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen.